Amen indeed. Thank you guys. You got it. Well, open up your Bible with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4. Leave that right there. And as you're turning there, I'm going to uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have um, gathered, Lord, we've read your word, we've sung praises to you, and now we uh, continue to ask that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that you are honored and glorified in our offering of worship, and we ask that you would give us um, clarity of thought, Lord, would you remove distractions that would prevent us from hearing, and would you help me, Lord, specifically me. Uh, to make this your word clear for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 4, let me read the entire last portion of the book, starting with verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord, in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Most of you know this, but Shannon and I spent the first six months of our marriage separated by the Atlantic Ocean and thousands of miles. There were no emails, no text messages, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, or FaceTime. Our communication went from heart to mind, to pen, to paper, to envelope, and to the post office for delivery. But not knowing really when her letters would reach me, because wherever we had happened to have been when they finally got to us, Sham would put numbers on the outside of each of her envelopes so that I could put them in order upon receiving them. And before opening them, I would kind of get them all in order, and then I would open them up and catch up on all that was going on back home. 
But truth be told, as I've thought back about that this past week, both my letters to her and her letters to me were rather formulaic. Greetings at the start. But the heart of the correspondence would be found right smack dab in the middle. And it was the main portion and part of the letters, right? And then as the letters would come to a close, there was usually that, that rapid fire update portion where she'd let me know, hey, your brothers are doing this and your mom is doing this and dad's doing great. And I went to this movie with Todd and all these kind of things would be right there at the end, right? So she'd tack those things on so I'd know. But it didn't matter what section of the letters that I was reading. And oftentimes, and more often than not, rereading, as I'd stand underneath that sun surrounded by miles of Middle Eastern desert, and I'd take in every word as if it was the only word. I must confess, I don't always approach Paul's letters in the New Testament with the same type of undivided attention. I find myself flying through the opening greetings to get to whatever it is that I've deemed in my heart to be the heart of the matter, where I tend to attribute to God's Word the greatest value. But unless I'm intentional, I'm prone to flying through, if not around, the part of Paul's letters where he too hits us with rapid-fire updates, final goodbyes, and, and requests for things that he might have needed to have been brought to him. And if I'm totally honest, I'm also prone to wrestling with the question, hey, can I just, can I just skip this part? But Paul wrote to Timothy and told him that all Scripture is breathed out by God, which tells us, and it, it, it tells me, it tells us, that God intends to work even the final greetings of a letter that was intended for a small church nearly 2,000 years ago into the members and into the people in this room, the members of Redeemer Fellowship this very morning. It's part of the mystery of God's Word that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is alive. God breathed for them. God breathed for us. Now, since October 31st, in the first days of our church's existence, we've been walking through Paul's letters, or letter, I should say, to Colossians. We spent our first weeks together walking through chapters 1 and 2 where Paul shared rich doctrine of the preeminence and the excellencies of Christ and our union with Him. And we then traveled on into the book where through the next chapter and a half, we were encouraged by Paul to, to learn how to express that and how to live out what we had just received doctrinally until we got to the third chapter, which is where we are now, and, and we begin that process of walking through today his final greetings, or more specifically, I would add, his commendations. Doctrine, ethics, how we live this, commendations. 
three categories into which this letter can be divided. As I've studied this final commendation, this packed section, right, this week in light of Redeemer, I was struck by how applicable and helpful it would be to apply the principles directly to our church's development process as well. Just like Paul was doing in the closing comments of his letter to Colossians. So lean in. Lean in and let's not pass over this as if it were irrelevant. The first point of our message, which may become a series of messages and the only one I will get to today, are commendations for partners in gospel ministry. Commendations for partners in gospel ministry. And I begin by highlighting what Paul highlighted the faithful, the faithful. Notice back with me at verses 7 and 8, and I'll confess, there may be times when I pronounce this name one way and another time another way. I've, I've heard them both, and they're kind of etched in my mind both ways, but for now, let it suffice to say that I'm talking about this guy named Tychicus. Hear these words again, verses 7 and 8. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. We know very little about this guy, Tychicus. And maybe it's just as well that we don't know much. But what we do know is that Tychicus is part of the company of saints that are surrounding and partnering with Paul while he is imprisoned in Rome. The group is made up of Tychicus, a runaway slave, three Gentile believers, and three Jewish believers, what at first glance might be a motley crew, right? Every believer, much less every minister, however, needs a Tychicus. A brother in the Lord. One who has been forged in the love of Christ for adversity and for good times. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 tells us that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And Paul refers to Tychicus as a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. If Paul delegated something to Tychicus, Paul knew it was as good as done. If, if Tychicus told Paul that, hey, I've got this, I'll handle this, or I'll be somewhere. Paul had learned regardless of the difficulties, which were many in Tychicus' past, it would come to pass. Who better then to trust with the delivery of priceless cargo? And by priceless cargo, I mean this letter, which we've been studying, the letter to Philemon, which comes a little later in the New Testament, 
and Ephesians. So who better to trust with this precious cargo, with these letters, or crucial updates? Hey, he'll tell you everything that's going on. Notice this letter has, and we've not come across this, so you'll, you'll know it's true as we've now walked through the whole thing. This letter has very little to do with Paul's welfare or his conditions. And he left all of that information to be distilled and shared through the lips of Tychicus, whom he trusted. But he's not only trusting him with priceless cargo and crucial, I'm sorry, crucial updates, but also a very delicate situation, right? We've alluded a little bit to the book of Philemon. We'll deal and talk about Onesimus later in our time in this passage. Uh, but for now, consider the challenges that would have surrounded the delivery of a runaway slave that Paul is hoping is received back. Not as a punished slave, but a fellow minister. And we'll look at that closely as we see the commendations that Paul will share for the gospel itself. But all of this being delegated to Tychicus. And I want you to hear that word delegated from Paul, or from me, about what's going on here. All of this being delegated to Tychicus, and these descriptions, right, about what he just said about Tychicus, they're not just for our reading. As we pick up our New Testament and we read through this letter, these things and these descriptors about Tychicus is not just for ours, but would have been read aloud by the church in the hearing of Tychicus. Can you imagine? I mean, maybe he, maybe he opened up the scroll on the way from Rome to Colossae and said, Oh, here I am. Took his cell phone out and took selfies of where his word appears in the document. Sent it back by way of Instagram and posted a little... Facebook Live message about it, but maybe he didn't do that. Can you imagine how affirming for Tychicus's heart, but also elevating for the church's confidence in this guy that Paul thought so highly of? So two things are going on. Paul is intentionally affirming Tychicus, but he is also seeking to elevate him as a commendation for this body, for the body in Ephesus, and the body of the churches all around that valley. And it feels like, we're reading into this a bit, so I'm asking you to hold this portion loosely. But it feels like Paul is in the process of passing the baton in a lot of different directions with these final greetings. And he's setting the stage for Tychicus to be heard and followed. Now there's a guiding set of principles here. Frankly, they're discipleship principles in general and leadership principles specifically that are embedded in these first two verses. And I would say they are vital for us to grab a hold of as Redeemer Fellowship. Let me just back up and kind of park there for a moment, if not for the rest of our time together. Notice this. Paul 
practiced what he preached. And I'll add kind of three things under that. There could have been 50. But in light of this letter, Paul discipled, Paul delegated, and Paul deployed. You like those D's? Paul discipled, Paul delegated, and Paul deployed. I refer to one of my life verses. It came from Paul, but I refer to it as 2D22. More specifically, 2T, 2 Timothy 2.2. In this verse, Paul fuels his, at the person he's writing to there is Timothy. He fuels Timothy with the same divine purpose God has for every one of us. That we would spend our lives making disciples of faithful people who will in turn do the same. Don't hear the word faithful there and see and conclude that the people that we are to pour into have already got it together. Or they're already way down the road before we pour into them. Faithful people. People that we've seen having received Christ. People who have a walk with Him and we get to come alongside. Or people that we've engaged with who have received Christ by faith and that we get to pour our lives into and make disciples of. He writes the words in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, I want to just kind of get this into your head. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This purpose-packed verse mentions nothing of Timothy's charisma. It mentions nothing of personality. It mentions nothing of qualifying age. It mentions nothing of an ability to stand in front of a large group of people. It's simply Paul speaking to Timothy. Listen, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is not exclusively to men, but it's to men that it is to a man that Paul is speaking here to Timothy. So this gender is more um, uh, representative than exclusive. Timothy was young. He's a relatively newly converted believer having trusted Christ on one of Paul's missionary journeys through Galatia into the town where he lived. But Timothy's relatively young. He's newly, relatively newly converted. He's easily intimidated. Although he had a godly mom and a godly grandmother, he had a pagan dad. I point that out because what qualified him as a disciple maker was the gospel. What qualified him as a disciple maker was his union with and in Christ and the fact that he had been given new life in Jesus. You don't have to be a Paul or a Timothy to pour into and disciple a future Tychicus. 
But you do have to be willing to come alongside a younger believer and help them grow in Jesus. This involves a few things. It involves a reorientation of our priorities to include a reorientation of priorities in our personal time in God's Word. Maybe that's fallen on the back burner of us. But regardless of the time of day in which you set aside and prioritize your time with God in His Word, if it needs to be reoriented and renewed and reignited, ask God for the grace to do that. But do it. So it it involves a reorientation of priorities. It also involves a realigning of schedules. I've watched one of my brothers take a lunch break each week with a young man that he ran into three or four years ago. This dude's a tall giant. And I, I cannot remember the minutia behind how all of that interaction came about, but this, my brother ran into him somewhere, they struck up a little conversation, and one person, they had mutual friends and chatted for a bit, but they did not meet there to get together, they just saw each other there. But something, he's a younger guy than my brother, but something occurred in my brother's mind and heart, it was the Lord, that caused him over the next series of days, maybe even a couple of weeks, I can't remember exactly, to track him down and reach out to him by way of, I think it might have been an email, it doesn't matter. But he wrote him and asked him, he reminded him of the encounter, reminded him of the meeting, reminded them of their mutual friends, and then he just threw it out there, which is so uncharacteristic of this brother. and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to invite you and like to know if you would like to start getting together with me on a regular basis. So something happened in that conversation that brought this up, right? And, and the guy, and he told him why. To talk through some spiritual things and to read through Scripture and just spend some intentional time together. And the guy responded, yes. That began what has now been about a three or four year relationship that was schedule altering for my brother. But that relationship is now a deep bond and friendship in spite of their vast differences in age. My brother and his wife attended his wedding, his baptism. And now our larger family has enjoyed welcoming his growing family at most of our family holiday gatherings. So I'm talking about a busy CPA dude who's a CFO of an organization and it required in his schedule and world a realignment of time and priorities. But one that I'm sure now in hindsight, he'd tell you, He has never regretted. It's going to involve a reorientation of priorities. 
And it's going to involve a realigning of schedules. But it's also going to involve a reliance upon Christ in you. I told you about Timothy's background, and I did so so you would not be tempted to compare your background with someone else who has a priority of making disciples and leveraging their time to do so, thinking that, man, if you only knew my stuff back here, you wouldn't be asking me to do this, because what do I have? You have Christ. And the evidence of a changed life and the comfort and confidence that Christ in you is your hope of glory. So it will require a reliance upon Christ in you. And finally, and this is big, and we've talked about it already before in Colossians, but I highlight it again. It'll require a recognition of your and my, our need to die daily for the sake of your Tychicus or your Timothy. Redeemer. If we are going to be a disciple-making church or obedient to the Great Commission that we quote at the end and close of all of our gatherings, we must all see this divine purpose as our divine purpose. And we must, by God's grace and through His enabling, seek out faithful men and women young and old alike, into whom we can pour the truth of God's Word so that they can grow in Christ and in turn do the same. Tutitutu. You will find no greater fulfillment, albeit exhausting, albeit costly, albeit fraught with disappointments when disciples say, I've had enough of this. This being the relationship, as well as potentially this being this God thing. But you'll find no greater fulfillment in spite of all of those things than giving yourself to this divine purpose. Paul practiced what he preached. He discipled. Tychicus is an example. He practiced what he preached. He also delegated. To the Ephesian church, he, would, he wrote, and Tychicus has it in his backpack or his messenger bag or wherever he stored these letters to be delivered. But he wrote these words, and we read them in our English Bibles under the verse Ephesians 4, 11-12, where he writes, And he gave the, he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So these were gifts of God to the church. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Listen, think back at Tychicus. Think back at how verse 7 starts, what all he is entrusting Tychicus to do. This was no small task that Paul delegated to Tychicus. But Paul was under no illusion, and hear this, and we flesh this out here, so just hear kind of how I'm reading and, and talking this through the lens of this first century into our world. But Paul was under no illusion that, listen, if something's going to be done right, it'd have to be done by me. 
We at Redeemer seek to embody and practice this principle as well. I mean, just this weekend, think about what happened this weekend. If you're unaware, let me just tell you. A group of fathers and sons gathered together for prayer and Bible study, and another group gathered for a mini-mission conference where they're, they're, they're praying that God would unite their group and our church in heart and focus to be living our lives on mission. I'm passionate about both of these things. But I wasn't present at either. However, God has blessed Redeemer with you. And by you, I mean all of you. Thank you in advance for looking for your fit. And maybe it's a fit that does not yet have place for, ex- for expression at Redeemer, but something that God intends for you to help us architect. And thank you also for the recognition that your pastors, and I don't mean just me, but I, Pastor Bill, Pastor Mark, that your pastor's presence is not the only stamp of approval authenticating vital and important ministry. This is a grace. Paul discipled. Paul delegated. And finally, he also deployed. Having himself been deployed by his fellow elders at the church of Antioch, Paul was a sent one that constantly sought opportunities to be a sender. Whether it was Timothy to Ephesus, or Tychicus to Troas, which he had sent, he had sent Tychicus to Troas earlier, and we see that in the book of Acts chapter 19. But Paul modeled to us, Redeemer, what it means to be a sending church. Just as Concord has modeled to Redeemer, what it is to be a sending church. As painful as it was for us to leave Concord, and painful for them to have us launch into Catoosa County, may we be a church that embraces the mixed emotions of developing from our midst and deploying from our midst those that are called to either go where the gospel isn't or where people need to be encouraged in the gospel as Paul sent Tychicus to do in Colossae. At the beginning of the week, my plan was to cover the whole of this final greeting. The entire section of Paul's final greeting, and and frankly, it would have been easy to do so, but I was convicted throughout the week. And I didn't want to see this section just as a tack on, which I confess to you, I've preached books of the Bible and done. But the Lord led me to slow down. If only for my own soul and benefit. But I've been praying and I trust for yours as well. When we're next together, I hope to look at the two more commendations that Paul gives for this passage, I mean, he's, he's, 
He's given us commendations for partners in gospel ministry, and, and we'll look at how He gave the written commendation, and He gave an invisible commendation. And after that, we'll, we'll look at the commendation of the power of the gospel and the commendation for the necessity of prayer. But I just wanted to kind of chat for a moment this morning and put it upon our mind and, and elevate these principles that we see that Paul practicing. Because it, it makes up our DNA of a church. I pray that we, be a, that we will continue to grow in our desire to be discipling. Individually. Even outside of our comfort zones, Right? I pray that we will continue to embrace the principle that, that all of us have been gifted and uniquely brought into our midst to put into practice our gift for the sake of each other and for the sake of our reach and our county. And I pray that we'll be ascending church. Josh is leading us in that direction. He's He's pointing the way. He's equipping us in that step by step by step. But also pray that as we see opportunities to launch, we'll grab hold of that with abandon for the glory of God. Until then, however, let me leave you with three questions to prayerfully consider. So if you're a believer in this room, teenager, Young adult, older adult. Three questions. Who is your Tychicus? Maybe he or she has not been identified by you, but you know that the divine purpose that Paul spoke to Timothy is our divine purpose. And who is that? Would you have your eyes open as you encounter people wherever it is? And they're in your circle right now, I would say. But then be praying, Lord, would you give me the, the boldness to write that email or send that text or make that phone call and start the conversation? Who's your Tychicus? Second question is this. What is your fit? Don't stop praying that God would reveal that to you. Don't stop practicing and, and putting yourself out there and saying yes and even asking if we've considered this, that, and the other of ways and expression of your fit to be done in here and out of here. And final question. Do you see the planting of Redeemer as an end? Or are you asking God to send aggressively from here. Be it in the form of future church plant, churches being planted, or a Timothy, or a Tychicus being sent. By God's grace, regardless of the mixed emotion that comes with that, it'll be true of us as well, as it was for our sending church, and as it was for the church of Antioch, and as it was for Paul. Let's pray that to be the case. Would you bow with me this morning?